From smack dab in the middle of Public Square, it's two middle-aged men in Cleveland, featuring real estate developer Lane Kawaoka. And now, two guys who are always ready for the weekend, Ted Klopp and Ken Dworsky. We are now in the last week of January, two middle-aged men in Cleveland, the very famous dad, Ted Klopp, and your... <laughs> Yours truly, Ken Dworznik. And Ted, last week was a very interesting week. A lot of different things happened with sports. We had the inauguration. But I'm not sure if you had the opportunity to see this. I think the biggest thing that happened last week and the thing that everyone's talking about is the Bernie Sanders memes. Oh, yeah. Did you have a chance to see this? Not only am I familiar with the Bernie Sanders memes, but we have the guy that made the website that allows you to put Bernie Sanders anywhere. Nick Sawney from New York is with us right now. Nick, thank you so much for your time. I can only imagine how busy you've been these last uh, few days since this, uh, I guess, unexpectedly took off. Is that about it? Unexpected is like too mild a word, dude. Like this has been the craziest week of my entire life. A week ago, I was like, some random kid like really like just like sitting in his room all day like dealing with the pandemic like everyone else and then I made an inside joke with my friends and then uh, it seems like a lot more people are now in on that joke (laughs) (laughs) I would say that's correct Nick I mean you got 9,849,938 people (laughs) that have created a meme and on behalf of those people, I want to thank you for doing this because you've oh given me God. countless hours of entertainment oh. that I never thought I would have <laughs> with Bernie Sanders. So thank you so much. You know, I never thought that Bernie Sanders would get me this far, but I knew supporting him was a good idea from day one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think everybody, regardless of what their political opinions are, can get behind yeah. these pictures and these memes that have been created. Yeah, that was crazy for me. You know, like people, I thought it would just be like a Bernie supporters thing, if that, once it started blowing up. But like people from the all over the world, when the night that it went viral, I was staying up all night because I was trying to stop the thing from crashing. I felt like my apartment <laughs> was on fire, you know. So I saw the replies to the tweets. I saw the languages go from English to European languages, to Asian languages, that blew my mind. I, I was just watching the languages change in front of me. And I was like, what What have I done? But it did not hit me until like a few days later. All I cared about was keeping the thing alive because so many people were telling me to do so, you know, and people were supporting <laughs> me financially to do so because Google was charging me money for it. And so it's been like a crazy, like humbling experience because, you know, all these people were like, hey, we like what you do and we're willing to like, you know, buy you a coffee to keep it going. The world gave me like some kind of community here and it was awesome. So Nick, as you ask any artist or any entertainer, what's your next meme? What's next? How do you top this? (laughs) So here's what, here's the deal, right? You can keep an eye out for my YouTube channel. I'll be publishing a video about the whole experience later this week. Keep an eye out Thursday or Friday. And I'll be talking about the whole experience and, you know, addressing all the questions that people have been asking me. And then what's next? I'm a student. My semester starts in two days and I have homework to do. (laughs) But but also, I'm hopefully going to be able to put the site back online soon with some new features where you can add anything you want anywhere, where you can add, you know, some 
other politicians maybe i haven't thought enough about it because of just the explosion of of responses that i've gotten i'm humbled by the the platform that people have given me and i will make sure to use it as responsibly as i can to share the research that i'm doing that i hope will make the world a better place to keep being myself but but putting some more things out there and now hopefully people people are paying attention and maybe some more like interesting things can come out of it. And like, that's all I can hope for, but mostly I'm just grateful. Now, Nick, you mentioned that you're a student, you're a student at NYU. Am I right? Yes, I am. Are you a a a web programming student or what? No, I, uh, web development is like, just like a very, very minor hobby of mine. I, I mostly just like making like little apps for myself, for my friends. And I like doing machine learning and data science where you, like artificial intelligence type stuff, you know, it's like, I think it's a very valuable skill where if you make something, you should always learn how to put it online because then people can, <laughs> people can experience it. And, and definitely now I will always be telling people, I don't care what you make. I don't care how bad you think it is. I thought my thing was bad, but put it online because you deserve to have a platform. That's my like thesis coming out of this. Well, I think you've gotten several life lessons in the last week about a number of things, not just web programming. <laughs> so why did you pick this particular picture of Bernie Sanders? Was there something humorous about it that struck you or what was it that um, made you choose this? I would not give myself any credit for choosing this image at all. I would give <laughs> the good people over on twitter.com the credit for choosing this image because I saw, I saw people putting Bernie in memes manually and the, oh, I did not come up with the Bernie meme idea and I will never take credit for it. I saw it on Twitter. But what I will say is all I did is gave more people the ability to put him in images, you know, without having to like learn Photoshop. That's all I did. You know, I just, I just made it accessible to some more people. I got lucky that it was at the right time and that people like it. And 9 million plus people using this site. Can you share at all what the Google bill for that is? All I can share right now is that the Google bill was very high, but I can also (laughs) share, uh, uh, but I can share two other things that, uh, that I'm really grateful for. Number one is throughout the entire experience, people were so supportive that I always had enough money to keep the thing going. And that was just incredible. The only things that took the site down, like once it was funding, once it was the New York times crashing the site because of all the people going to it, but people decided that they liked this and they decided that they liked the story enough that they supported it to keep it going. Without that, the site would have been down in six hours after I released it. That's the takeaway, you know, like if you do something that people like, you can trust them because people are good and they will help you. And all you have to do is connect with them. And like, that's that's such a good lesson. You know, for me personally, the thing I'm most grateful for is what this has done for my own view of myself, you know, like I've, I've been very down on myself for like most of my life. And I had just this moment where I was like, wow, maybe you can do things. And that's awesome. And I hope that like every single person gets to experience that moment. I'm just grateful for what the public has been able to do for my own opinion and respect for myself. That was awesome. And a really big personal journey for me. That's great. Is there a favorite or humorous place that's at the top of your list that you've seen people use your site to put Bernie. So the thing that people seem to be liking the most is putting Bernie at four seasons total landscaping. And honestly, I could not agree more. I think that is hilarious. And then the other thing, I, I, got, to, I got the absolute honor of appearing twice on Irish radio, which I learned wow. a lot about how Ireland, 
really, really has a really big radio culture, which I think is awesome. And what people in Ireland were doing was they were putting Bernie in front of architectural landmarks that they get funding for every time they build roads. And that wow. was like so cool. They were like, first of all, wow, I would like architectural art like next to my roads. And two, it's so awesome that even though Bernie is not an Irish politician, <laughs> they found a place to put him. That was so cool for me. And like Irish radio is awesome. I highly recommend you listen to it. Well, you've made it to Ireland. Now you've made it to Cleveland. And I'm sure this is not the last stop on this journey. So best of luck. And All right. That was outstanding, Nick. Thank you. What a great Please young man you away. are. And you know what? Thank you deserve you. all the you. praise that you get for doing this. Ken, it uh, doesn't get much more current than that. The Bernie meme website guy. How about that? That is unbelievable. Talk about a nice young man who just kind of seems like he was kind of screwing around and just trying to help people out and did something that unified over 9 million people. I can't tell you the amount of text, the amount of restaurants in Cleveland, the amount of businesses that use that meme. Unbelievable to have the opportunity to talk to him. That was awesome. Uh, well, coming up on the show, we're going to talk about this week in Cleveland history. We have some actual Cleveland history about the city. So we'll talk about that. We've also got some good news. Chuck Schumer makes our misspeak of the week. And if you haven't heard this, boy, will you be enjoying it. Then we have the Klops Clips segment. That's all coming up. And I have a story here, Ken, I want to share with you real quick. I'm shopping with my wife the other day. We're going down the aisle and I see a 24 pack of beer. It's 10 bucks. So I put it in the cart. But that's a great price for a 24 pack of beer. Sure, that's that's really he cheap. He says, no, 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 we can't afford that. Put that back. So, okay, fine. Couple aisles over, we're in the, the beauty area, and she grabs some face cream that's 20 bucks. And I said, no, 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 you don't need that. That's way too expensive. And she says, well, that's to make me look pretty. And I said, well, that's what the beer was for, and it's half the price. for you. Ted, another This Week in Cleveland History, January 29th, 1754. Holy cow. Third grade. Yeah. Maybe kindergarten. Moses Cleveland, founder of the city of Cleveland, is born in Canterbury, Connecticut. He was a politician, a lawyer, and a land surveyor. General Cleveland coasted along the shore with the surveying party and landed on the mouth of the Cuyahoga River on July 27, 1796. He ascended the bank and determined that the spot was a favor, favorable site for a city with the river on the west and Lake Erie on the north. He had it surveyed into town lots and the employees named the place Cleveland in his honor. Cleveland went home to Connecticut after the 1796 expedition and never return to Ohio or the city that bears his name. Now, here's the interesting part, Ted. Yep. The spelling of Cleveland, C-L-E-V-E-L-A-N-D is the way we spell it. Right. But one theory is that Cleveland, C-L-E-A-V-E-L-A-N-D, surveying party misspelled the name on their original map. Another is that the spelling was changed in 1831 by the Cleveland Advertiser, an early city newspaper, in order for the name to fit on the newspaper's masthead, the first A was dropped, reducing the city's name to Cleveland. 
We don't spell the city the same way as the guy that found the city. We're misspelled. <laughs> How nope. about that? Did you know this information? I did not know this until I did my research here. I was aware that Moses Cleveland spelled his name differently. And I knew that there had been different reasons. You know, nobody really knows why. But I didn't know that he was a land surveyor and all that, nor did I know that he found the city, said, put it there, and then went back to Connecticut and never, never came back. <laughs> yep, that's it. I found this place. It seems nice, but I'm not staying here. That's, a, you know, Christopher Columbus finds, sails yep. the ocean blue in 1492, finds America, and then, <laughs> what, he leaves and never comes back? Never comes back. <laughs> and we spell Cleveland because we couldn't fit it on the masthead. Drop that A, and we're good. Either that or the guys that work for Moses Cleveland misspell his name. That could be. I think if it was a couple of weeks ago, one of the episodes, Sapporo beer spelled lager incorrectly. So yeah. maybe there's some connection between the two just to make it fit. But could be another addition, great addition and some great Cleveland history on this week in Cleveland history. Cleveland, this is for you. Where'd that come from now? We look at a commonly used phrase and talk about its origin. This week, we look at the phrase, turn a blind eye. British naval hero, Admiral Horatio Nelson had one blind eye. Once, the British forces signaled for him to stop attacking a fleet of Danish ships. But he held a telescope to his blind eye and said, I do not see the signal. He attacked and was victorious. He turned a blind eye. Now you know where that came from. Have you heard about Anchor? I'm not talking about the one for a boat. This is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can... Make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Blah 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 Our guest today is a former civil industrial engineer and now a real estate investor. He's recently purchased a large piece of property here in the Cleveland area. So we're gonna talk about it with him. Let's talk with Lane Kawaoka. Lane, thanks for your time. I guess the first question is how do you go from civil and industrial engineer to real estate investor? Well, it took over a decade to do, but and I kind of 
followed that linear path of go to school, study hard, get an engineering job. And I call it the linear path of eventually buying a house to live in, which I did shortly after college. But then because I was never home, I was traveling all the time for work. I decided to rent it out. And for a young 20-year-old kid, that was a lot of beer money. <laughs> and I realized that was my ticket out of the rat race. So I just kept doing this. I took saving my money for down payments. I would eventually be out of the rat race. And that was back in 2009 when I bought my first property in Seattle. Lane, obviously the real estate market is, I mean, in recent months has been absolutely insane. I've had a little bit of experience with myself. My fiance sold her house in one day for the asking price. And I know many other people, certainly in the Cleveland area and all throughout the country are experiencing the same thing. Are you seeing the same type of action, I guess you could say, with residential and commercial? Are they both just really, really busy or is things with commercial real estate a little bit different? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the more commercial side, so it's never really get any frenzy in it. And that's why I stay away from residential real estate, because it's all based on emotion and frenzy, like what yep. you're seeing right now. Yep. Commercial real estate is based on how much money it makes, right? Your net operating income for those geeks out there, you know, divided by the cap rate is the purchase price, market price. So it's based on how much money that asset produces, which is, takes all emotion out of play. So when you got started back in Seattle, did you start right away in commercial real estate or did you begin in residential? Yeah, I, I did residential initially. I didn't move into the more commercial assets until my net worth got up to a certain stage around 2015. But, you know, today I, I run my podcasts and educate people just to get started, you know, with that first rental property. And it, it took me maybe five, six years to kind of get to a certain level to kind of play with the big stuff. But yeah, it's, it's a, not a get rich quick thing. I mean, the stuff I do is definitely not like flipping houses or wholesaling houses. You know, I, at the time I was, my highest and best use was at my professional day job, saving money there and putting it to down payments on buy and hold rentals and just chipping away. Many companies right now all throughout the country have had employees in buildings. And I know this is happening a bit in Cleveland where they had full buildings. And now just because of everything that's happened with the pandemic, people are now starting to work from home. Are you starting to see some maybe different properties open up that you haven't seen before because of things going on, because of maybe the change of, we're not going to work in an office anymore, we're going to work at home. Are you, what, what are you seeing out there? You got to dig into the layers of the onion on this one, right? Like on, <laughs> on the first gut reaction, I mean, if you would have asked me six months ago, I would have said, yeah, I don't want nothing to do with office space, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. who the heck would? But once you start to dig into it, you start to build a little bit of like dissonance between all right let's talk about like coastal markets right like san francisco los angeles new york we're obviously seeing the big exodus from those types of markets and you know number one it was too expensive to begin with and number two a lot of those workers are tech workers right a lot of those guys they don't need to go in the office they're higher paid they're held accountable via other deliverables where most of america you know, and I'd say maybe Cleveland kind of fits this mold. A lot of Midwestern towns where, you know, your cubicle delters, they need, they need a boss to like keep them in line. I know when I was like an engineer, if I, my boss wasn't around, I'd be out by like four o'clock as quick as I can get, right? And that's especially the newer generation, right? The new generation is, we don't want to be in an office. But, you know, I think a lot of us have had, or not speaking for myself, because I don't have a day job anymore. So I'm just assuming that people who have been able to work from home, 
I think even they would agree that they don't get as much stuff done. There's a lot more distractions and you can't get promoted from your bedroom. And it, just imagine like a young engineer, your first day at work is next to your bedroom. How are you going to build like the trade knowledge and build relationships and connections? Just not practical, I think. Sure. So you have purchased a building here in the Cleveland area, the Rockefeller building. For those who don't know what the Rockefeller building is, can you tell us a little bit about it and how you have come to own it? Along with my partners, we kind of syndicated the raise with other passive investors. So we previously, uh, we buy apartment buildings, rural home parks via this model of with our private networks of, I mean, these are what you probably call the country club deals, right? So pull, pull each other's money together. Several general partners operate the deal. We put the loans in our name. We find the deal. We get contractors. We do all the work. And then passive investors kind of power the capital raise to acquire the asset and the CapEx money. And when we just hop around the country and do this all over the place. And recently we picked, acquired the, the Rockefeller to kind of do the thing. And there's usually a business plan component to it. In this case, you know, this is just exactly like what Trump did back in New York, right? Like the demand is residential as opposed to office. So if you could take something right on the edge of that demand needle and you can switch it from one way or another, it just makes so much sense. So it's kind of the play here. So the idea with, with that particular building, obviously you're doing some renovations to it and going to fix it up. And as you mentioned, it's going to be residential. How long until maybe people start renting it out or purchasing? How long does that process take? And not just with this facility, but with others. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be at least a couple of years, right? The build-out phase and then the lease-out phase. The build-out phase being the majority of that. It's not a get-rich-quick thing, right? I mean, these investors, they come in and, you know, they're scattered amongst many deals, right? It's not just like they have one or a few of these, right? Like me personally, I'm in maybe 20, 30 projects like this. This sure. is my portfolio. We don't invest in Wall Street. We invest in ourselves. Sure. So have you owned any other real estate in the Cleveland area previously, or is this your first step into Cleveland? First step in Cleveland, I've got some clients that have bought a lot of turnkey rentals in Cleveland. So turnkey rentals are, you know, house flipper will pick up a property for, you know, $30,000, $50,000 out there that's distressed. They'll put in, they'll, they'll rehab all the major components, roof, new HVAC, new plumbing, new electrical, new kitchen, new paint, new carpet. And a lot of times they'll put in a tenant there for the owner to buy it. It's where the term turnkey comes from. Um, it's not super passive, but for a new investor, great way to get started. That's how I got started back in the day, just acquiring these rentals. But yeah, Cleveland is definitely one of those markets. Cleveland's kind of interesting. I mean, population is kind of going down, right? Generally, I think a lot of the buzz is in the urban core, but I mean, I have, I have pretty good teams and in Cleveland where despite those trends of declining population, I, I still recommend it to my folks. When you're looking at a facility and obviously a building, let's say it's here or anywhere, how much research goes into this whole process? Obviously it's not like one day, Hey, I think this is a great idea. As most people would think, <laughs> what's the amount of time it takes before you decide, okay, let's pull the trigger. Let's do this. I like to tell you, I think from my heart, I go with my gut feeling. But no, it's, you know, it's all underwritten. Then you see what the banks say, right? <laughs> sure. 
there's kind of two eyes going it so thanks the primary partner in it right a lot of people don't realize but they get this the majority of the debt right right they're not going to put their money in unless they they feel like it's a good deal excellent well thanks for the overview and the look into i guess we call it passive real estate investing can we get you to join us a little bit later here for uh our game time segment sure sure Ted, we have some more good news for you. 20 volunteers got together over the weekend on the banks of the Tennessee River. Over the weekend, they removed more than 9,000 pounds of trash from the river. This is the second cleanup by this group of volunteers. Back in October, they collected more than 4,800 pounds of trash. Holy cow. That's unbelievable. They have another cleanup set for April and a goal of removing, get this, 100,000 pounds of trash by the end of this year. My gosh. That's great. But you know what that reminds me of? The Cuyahoga. Yeah, I know. Don't anybody take a match down there. No, that's gotten much better, I must say. But yes, it has. Not completely clean. But boy, these people, uh, 20 volunteers Volunteers. to do all that and take the trash out just to, you know, certainly help that, that river, but also help the environment. Wow, that's that is just outstanding. Time for our misspeak of the week. Democratic Senate leader Chuck Schumer speaking on the Senate floor on Friday about the plans for the impeachment trial of President Trump. It was during his remarks that he made a most unfortunate uh, phallic flub. There will be a trial, and when that trial ends, senators will have to decide if they believe Donald John Donald John Trump incited the erection insurrection against the United States. Uh-huh. I'm not sure what was on Senator Schumer's mind. I guess an insurrection can be considered an uprising, though. <laughs> that is your misspeak of the week. Ted Klopp here for Westminster AV. You've heard me talk about their top-notch rental services, but don't take my word for it. Here are some Google reviews. The Ohio Society of Association Executives says... Not only do they meet every need we have, they anticipate additional services and requests that we have had and are always prepared. The Westside Catholic Center says the elements they added to our event enhanced every aspect of the evening. Very easy to work with, incredibly knowledgeable, and made adjustments on the fly. Whether you are planning a virtual or an in-person event, Westminster AV should be your first call for dependable, professional, audiovisual equipment rentals. Call today, 216-325-6960. Again, the number, 216-325-6960. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. Again, time for Klops Clips, but I, I don't know that we will be able to top the misspeak of the week that was the insurrection tremendous. the insurrection insurrection if you look at the video of chuck schumer when he makes that mistake he facially reacts in a most negative way realizing yes, he what he has said but yes he does not much Classic. he can do at that point all right clubs clips here we go a lawmaker in oklahoma has proposed a bill to create a hunting season for bigfoot Republican state rep 
Justin Humphrey says the idea is not to kill Sasquatch, but rather to trap a live Bigfoot and or find evidence that he exists. The bill directs the Oklahoma Wildlife Conservation Commission to create rules, dates, licenses, and fees for the season. There would also be a $25,000 bounty for someone who traps a live Bigfoot. Humphrey thinks it would be great for tourism and outdoor recreation. The Wildlife Commission doesn't agree. They say they use science-driven research, and the bill would require them to do work for something that doesn't exist. <laughs> First of all, when would that be? I don't know. You think in November? I mean, I know hunting season, you know, for... For turkey and, and deer and all that stuff is usually in the beginning part of the fall, so it's right in the beginning of October. Is there more of a time when Bigfoot would be running around as opposed to other times? Or guess this I don't would know. Be, we should use some science-driven research to figure that out, perhaps. It's according to some, he does exist, but I want the poster that says "Wanted" with a picture of Bigfoot and then a twenty-five thousand dollar reward. That's that's that is I, that is good stuff. I would agree with that. A car thief in Oregon made an interesting move. The guy spotted a car unlocked and running outside a grocery store, so he hopped in and started to take off. That's when he discovered there was a four-year-old in the back seat. So the thief returned to the grocery store parking lot and told the mother to take the child as he lectured her and threatened to call the police on her before taking off in a stolen car was found a few hours later. The suspect, however, has not been found. Oh, my. <laughs> I'm going to steal this car, but you get this kid out of here or I'm going to call the cops. Oh, my gosh. That is <laughs> This does remind me, though, very quickly, when I would go to the Coliseum and that you would always have the announcements of people when they had their lights on. Oh, yeah. And my favorite was always uh, license plate AH5247. Your lights are on and your car is running. So these people would go to the game, forget that their car was running, and the lights would be on. So they would have absolutely nothing by the time the game was over. That's When you read that, that's what that reminded me of. Well, Candy Funhouse in Canada has some job openings for remote workers. They're looking for full and part-time candyologists to taste test the company's candies. They are offering, get this, Ken, $47 an hour. Whoa. $47 an hour to sample and then review the items. You can apply online through February 15th. Will you That's be applying? Wow. I'm, I would consider it if I could do it remotely. <laughs> That'd be outstanding. $47 $47 bucks an hour. That's big money, man. A South Carolina couple is accused of, how do I say this? Uh, well, they, as I said earlier, tried to join the Mile High Club. On a 200-foot-tall Ferris wheel at Myrtle Beach. Oh, boy. The incident was captured on video, and police say they discovered it had been uploaded to a porn site. Oh, boy. The Myrtle Beach Sky Wheel has 42 glass-windowed gondolas, so the act was in plain view of the public. The attraction is advertised as being for all ages. 36-year-olds Lori and Eric Harmon are the accused. Lori, not new to the accusations of this type, she supposedly performed a similar act in a hotel elevator, and she's accused of <coughs> peeing on a pair of vending machines last month. Wow. This, to me, seems staged. That's kind of where I'm at with this. 
you got to do what you got to do sometimes, but <laughs> it seems like the, this was staged. That's my two cents. Well, there are those who uh, they, they enjoy the idea of putting on a display. Well, in Amsterdam, we jumped from that story to Amsterdam. <laughs> a curfew has started running from 9 p.m. to 4.30 a.m. each day. Residents are apparently trying to find creative ways to dodge the curfew. Some have ordered uniforms of home delivery companies. Others are offering to walk dogs, which is an exception to the curfew. One site that matches people in need of dog walkers with volunteers says it's overwhelmed. They normally get 10 offers a week, but are now seeing that number jump to about 300. It's so I want out. I will walk your dog. And if I can't, I'm ordering an Amazon delivery uniform. Oh, my gosh. People will do anything to get outside. Creativity. Just, you know, I, I imagine there's probably they're probably starting to see more and more dogs go to bars than they've ever seen before. <laughs> so. I think the question is, do the dogs get ID'd and or do they get served? I would probably say yes. That's my guess. Well, that is this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. a game time segment with real estate investor Lane Kowoka and the best dad in Cleveland Heights, Ted Klopp. Uh, today we are going to play Name the Price Cleveland. Okay, Lane, this is very simple. In this game, you're going to compete against Ted and guess the price of the product that I describe, okay? Whoever guesses the price closest with, without going over will be the winner. So kind of like a price is right type of thing, but we make it Cleveland style. I have three products for you to guess today, okay? If you get two of the three correct, you'll be the winner. Now, I do have a special prize. Oh, for here today's we go. Winner, okay? Today's winner will win their very own pet deer, okay? There's m maybe tons of different sizes out there, and you can pick them up basically anywhere in the Cleveland area. Uh, the retail price of the deer, of course, is priceless. So you can't put a price on life. Are you guys ready for product number one? Are we ready for this? You notice no. Lane has not said one word since you started explaining. No, because he thinks I'm completely <laughs> insane, which most people do, but that's okay. So, all right. <laughs> Product number one Product a number reusable one. Cleveland Browns face mask, okay? A facial mask made by Dome Fit. This elastic polyester breathable mask is designed for men and women. This is ideal for protecting you from dust, obviously, COVID 19, smoke and keep your face warm in the cold. It has a Browns helmet on it and the words Browns underneath. Please name this price on this Cleveland Browns face mask. Lane, you're our guest, so you get to go first on a price guess. Uh, $39. $39. Mr. Klopp. Well, you know, these masks shouldn't cost that much, but when you put the NFL stuff on there, they do go up. I'm going to guess a little lower than Lane. I'm going to go $29. Okay, $29. Lane was $39. The retail price for the Cleveland Browns face mask is $14.50. I actually thought it'd be much higher as you guys did. So yep. item one, no go. Okay. No, no dice. Product number two is a 62-inch Cleveland Indians golf umbrella with a protective sheath double canopy wind protection and auto open button this product is made by team golf store 
Obviously, no better way to show your support for this soon-to-be classic umbrella with the Chief <laughs> Wahoo logo and the name Indians on the umbrella as well. Please name the price on this Cleveland Indians umbrella. Ted, go ahead. You're first this time. Well, I like how you labeled it classic because they're changing the name. So yep. the price that I guess today might change here in a year or two. But uh, a 62-inch umbrella, I will... I'll go with uh, $24. $24. Okay. Lane? I'll go at 16 bucks. 16 bucks? Okay. The retail price of the Cleveland Indians umbrella is $39.99. I'm going to be honest with you. I would not pay $39.99. No. That's what it is. So it's one to nothing. This is a big one. This last one here. Product number three. This is an officially licensed NBA zone-ready Cleveland Cavaliers beach towel. Show your support of the Cavs with this 30-inch by 60-inch beach towel made of cotton. Okay, this is a machine-washable item and has the Cavs logo on it with the Cleveland Cavaliers on the top. Gentlemen, please name the price of the Cleveland Cavaliers beach towel. Lane, you get to go first this time. $19. Okay. I'm going to go with Ted. $9. $9. $9 you're going with. Okay. Both excellent choices. The retail price of this Cleveland Cavaliers beach towel is actually $17.84. Yes. Might be a little bit high as well. But... So there we go. Prices. So, Ted, you ended up with two. You guys tied for the first one. So, uh, Ted, you're the winner of some random deers throughout Northeast Ohio. Congratulations. Well, I think what we've learned today is if you want to learn to real estate invest, you should talk to Lane. And if you want to know how to guess random, odd product prices, I'm your guy. I think that's the bottom line here. Is that right, I will also say this, that Lane is going to make a heck of a lot more money doing what he's doing as opposed to what you're doing. I'm just going to throw it out there. Well, Lane, uh, we appreciate your time. Now, if folks want to learn more about uh, simple passive uh, cash flow, I know you have a podcast, you have a website and a course, things like that. What are some of the best ways to get started with you or to get in start, started in this special way of real estate investing that you are uh, promoting? Yeah, so if they want to learn more about the podcast, uh, Simple Passive Cashflow, iTunes, Google Play. If you're starting out just like how I was, I would recommend just getting a rental property. I would say the first eight to 12 podcasts were more tactful back then. I started this podcast back in 2016. For those of more accredited investors, you know, maybe check out the later podcasts as I kind of became more of an accredited investor lately. But yeah, check out the website and reach out. Lane, awesome. I'll leave you with this. I have another question for Lane real quick if he has two seconds here. So if I'm going to start investing and I'm going to buy a rental property, as you mentioned, is there a certain price range IP should be looking at? Is there a certain type of area I should be looking at? And your thought process, I mean, is it just go out and find out what you think is best or is there something specific you think you would start with? Well, number one, I mean, you got to find properties that cash flow, right? We don't buy properties based on appreciation. That's called gambling, in our opinion. So we want to find properties that are 1% rental value ratio or higher. How do you find the rental value ratio? Go with the monthly rental price divided by the purchase price. So a $100,000 house needs to rent for $1,000 or greater. And then we can kind of dig into this more, but for the most part, your high end your luxury properties will not cash flow. We don't invest in that, nor do we go to the war zone type of areas in class C and D. 
there's a nice sweet spot in the middle in the B and C class. You know, probably where you're at in the, in the Cleveland area. You know, the rents between six hundred to eleven hundred bucks, somewhere yes. in there, that you can get for sixty to ninety thousand dollars. You guys are lucky. I mean, most of my clients are in California, Washington, New York. They have no chance of getting any cash flow where they live. Right. So mm. you guys are kind of lucky to be where you're at. Salaries aren't as high. Like cleaning cast <laughs> would be probably four times as much in LA because they make more up there. Yep. Yep. Right. That's what we get for living in Cleveland, right, Ken? Yeah, I guess that's our benefit of getting snow. So that's it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Well, Lane, we appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, man. And we are wrapping up another episode of Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland, number 39. We had a lot going on in this show, didn't we? We really did. You yeah. had a little bit of everything, to be honest um, We have an insurrection or whatever Chuck Schumer called it. And then that collection of Klopp's clips was just, it's a lot of, a lot of inappropriateness, apparently. Yeah, I think that's kind of where things are at right now. I mean, it's... People are, are still trying to figure everything out and what's the best way to get through things? Just act inappropriate. I do it on a daily basis. Yeah, it's, it's worked well for the two of us for some time. Yes. Well, coming up on next week's show, B.C. Wayman is going to join us and he is from the Cleveland School of <clears throat> Cannabis. So we're going to learn all about cannabis and the industry. We're going to talk about the industry. Don't get this wrong. We're going to talk about the growing medicinal marijuana situation here in Ohio, because it is a business now, lest you think that it's just a bunch of folks smoking doobies. <laughs> just getting hot. No, yeah. I, this is a, this is very legit. And the, I'm very interested to talk to BC because I've heard of other folks that are basically taking all these different classes, not necessarily learning how to grow marijuana, but, all the marketing and the business involved with that. And there's many different people that, you know, it's starting to get legalized in many different States. And this is going to become big industry as we move forward here in the next few years. Well, we'll have to ask BC if any of his students, I believe he's a teacher. We'll ask him any, if, if any of his uh, students have um, <clears throat> conducted uh, perhaps their own research. That uh, could be a very good question. Ted, no matter what happens, Everyone knows we're just two middle-aged men from Cleveland. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland is sponsored by Anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And by Westminster AV. Custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.